We live in maybe the most antagonistic and oppositional time in human history. How then is someone to love his neighbor as himself in that world? We'll start there on this week's Corey Truax Show. It's going to be one of those shows. Two varying ideas both struck me around the same time, and they live in tension to one another. I often use this microphone as a way to just decide what decide what I think about something, to play ideas off of each other. I do that best into a microphone. And so what you get to hear today is me working through that. And what I think will happen along the way is you'll learn some things. You will probably disagree on some. And also this. I think you'll you will leave these 50 minutes or an hour if you're listening live on his radio talk with a clearer picture and a better understanding of the culture that you're living in. Welcome to the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. Amongst many other things, I get to serve as the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets at 1030 on Sunday mornings. You are invited, and it was recently a sermon I preached there in the Gospel of Mark that was the first thought that I want to bring you. We have this call from Jesus. He calls it the second most important commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. I think there's a an ethic. There's even a, a fairly large group of people who would say, listen, trying to love God, I'll do my best, but I, I can't stand people. I don't like people. People are hard. And listen, I get that. A lot of people are hard. But I'm called to it. If you're a believer, you're called to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then what happens is I walk back into the world where I live. I walk back into the social media world, into the media environment, and I realize I live in a world that's not really for anything. We live in an oppositional culture. People tend not to do things because they like them or uh, at least a lot of things. Not because they like them or are attracted to them. They do a lot of things in opposition. I'm mostly thinking here of the governmental world, or maybe it's where we shop or decide not to shop. It's often not because we love the, th- the one thing. It's that we're trying to show our opposition to another. Our politics generally is oppositional. You don't know a ton of people who really get excited to go vote for the person they're voting for. In my life, it's not just me. I mean, I'm particularly disaffected, but it's not just me. I suspect most of you vote primarily to stop what you think the other side will do. You don't have any expectation of making progress for anything you like or anything you support, but you just know what you don't want to happen. And so the nature of the politics, the nature of the vote, is to be oppositional. This is similar to news and what you watch and where you gather it. It's similar to where, where you shop again, where you, you know this uh, particular store supports this given thing, and so you don't, well, I don't eat any sweets really, so I'm trying to think of the name of this. Is it Ben & Jerry's? Is that ice cream? Ben & Jerry's has a very particular philosophy on LGBTQIA stuff, and so uh, we don't buy Ben & Jerry's in this house or something like that. It's not because you love the other brand of ice cream that I can't think of. It's just, it's oppositional. 
So you buy the other. So I have this idea. I love my neighbor as myself. I want to do that. And then I walk out into a world that is primarily defined by opposition to other things. So those two things started ruminating in my head. How do I do that in this world? Then I came along to this. A catalyst. I noticed that a lot of folks on the American right, of which I am a member. I am not first a member of the American right. I'm first a believer in Jesus. And that's going to be my primary identity. But yeah, I, uh, I operate, navigate in right of center circles. And I see a lot of crowing right now. A lot of, a lot of cheering, almost like it's sports. Because um, a mask mandate for air travel ended because Disney is losing their special status in Florida because they uh, because they said they were going to dedicate time, money, and their influence to overturning a bill that does lots of things, but primarily says you can't talk to children about sexuality and transgenderism if you're a school employee. And because on that all that all staff call, they made very clear they have a very specific sexual agenda for children. I see folks on my side. They're celebrating that Netflix is losing subscribers, that Twitter has been bought by Elon Musk, that CNN Plus got shut down so quickly, a lot of dancing on that grave. And then something I brought up here recently, a lot of very good legislation being passed at the state level. A basic a basic ban of abortion in Oklahoma, the six or the fifteen week bill in Mississippi, got the Texas heartbeat heartbeat law. That's before you get to a lot of the CRT regulation, some of the things going on in schools. There's just a lot of winning, winning, winning type of language right now. And I try to fit that in my my paradigm that I, I just preached through. Love my neighbor as myself. And then I see folks associated with me doing a lot of cheering about winning in opposition to some other folks. And I'm wondering if the two things fit together. One quick side note, and it will be a quick side note. I think it's important to recognize there actually is a lot of winning on the American right at this moment. And I would like for all those folks who have been experiencing the winning to go back to your emotions on January 20th of 2021. When I was saying, hey, everyone calm down. By the way, that's Inauguration Day. That's when Joe Biden was inaugurated. Everyone calm down. Everything's fine. Stop freaking out. So not only has there not been hugely terrible things happen, and there's been some bad things, but there's actually some good things happening. You know, you don't actually have to win the presidency to do good things, to restrain evil, that we live in a system that's quite, I was going to say bifurcated, but is multifurcated, where you can do uh, lots of different things and lots of different uh, angles. And so, all right, back to my main point. So I I love my neighbor as myself. That's my goal. And then I might, I might even feel in me some celebration at winning victories over some folks I might think of as enemies. So how do I reconcile that? Started working through that. And here's part... Uh, I should tell you about one more thing before I give you my reconciliation. I read a fairly long article in the New York... No, it was in the Atlantic about Peter Thiel and a guy named Trevor, I think Bastille was his name. 
if you don't know Peter Thiel, he was one of the original investors in Twitter. I think an original Facebook investor. He is most wealthy because he came up with PayPal. I think he sold PayPal, but either way, he's a billionaire. And he is financing a lot of right-wing causes. He's also, a, 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 I think, a gay married man. Not just a homosexual guy, but married to a guy. So you might find him an odd partner for right-wing causes, but he has found common cause with right-wing people over what he thinks of as the, let's go, with the prevailing powers of the age. I, I, uh, it, I was reading it, it made me think of this old French phrase. I think it's out of the French Revolution. A very bad revolution, right? Americans did a good job of throwing off our, our monarchs and doing it without all of the uh, excess of the French Revolution, all the violence of the French Revolution. I mean, obviously there was violence here, there was a war, but we didn't have the guillotine out and just cutting the heads off of dissidents. Anyway, there was a phrase then. I think it was, Epater les bourgeois. I can't speak French. But it was essentially this. Shock the bourgeoisie. Shock the powerful people. Make them uncomfortable. And that instinct right now on the American right is making for strange partners. Where the very cosmopolitan Peter, Peter Thiel, Thiel type, who is only in some ways conservative, is partnered up with your down-home, blue-collar, rural person because both feel like there is a prevailing power over business and over media and over uh, over the education system, over government. There's a, pre- a prevailing power, and they want to poke at it. They want to look the powerful people in the eye, and uh, I can't use any kind of expletive on the air, but they want to say some nasty things to those folks. And so you have this, this instinct... I think in, in worldly people who are otherwise aligned with my ideas but not my faith, their ethic has been, let's go after these people. The people who have have opposed us and have done damaging things, admittedly. Folks who have done damaging things to the country and to humanity, to humans made in the image of God. Let's set up structures and strategies to actually go after them, destroy them, and go to war. I've heard language like that from other broadcasters that have much higher impact than I do. It feels like war. And so I, I have this message. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then I live in a world that's primarily oppositional and now even folks that I associate with talking like war is the answer. I think I want to take an early break so that I can just let you sit in that for a second. If you're listening to the podcast, maybe even pause before you keep listening and just sit in that for 60 seconds. I live in a world that's oppositional. People want want things that are really bad for humanity. They're bad for my country. They're bad for my kids. They're bad for my family. I'm called to love them, and there's an opportunity here. There's a lot of folks that think like me that are coming up with well-funded systems and structures to, to, to really do damage to the folks, or at least the cause of the people that I'm called to love, but whose ideas hurt me. How do I do both? How do I love them? And then also try to stop ideas that I think, or we're not, not just think, I'm, I'm going to say it, ideas that violate the image of God on humanity. 
You think about it. When you come back, I will tell you how I've reconciled it and where I've landed. We'll do that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show, wherever you listen to podcasts and right here on his radio talk. Trying to reconcile these two thoughts. We love our neighbor, but we live in an oppositional world where we where we are largely defined by the things we oppose, and a lot of folks like me are seemingly ready to go to war, and I'm really uncomfortable. And I don't mean physical live fire war, but using all of the other methods we can to destroy our enemies, and I'll admit my discomfort. Let me tell you about it in just a moment. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. Find me, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I'm very easy to find because I don't use any kind of fancy username. It's just my weird name, C-O-R-Y-T-R-U-A-X. You can also email the show at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. Here's where I landed on reconciling these two issues. I really do want to love my neighbor. I want to love my neighbor who wrongly thinks that the government is the solution to every problem. I want to love my neighbor who wrongly thinks that sex is not binary, that there's a bunch of genders. I want to love my neighbor who endorses the aberrant sexualities of the modern age. I want to love my neighbor who thinks we can somehow support all of the uh, all of the immigration possible at any given time without really uh, without processing it properly. I want to love my neighbor who has a lot of those things wrong. Now, what happens, though, when your neighbor is punching you? What happens when your neighbor is stabbing you? What's my call to, in terms of how to love my neighbor in the scenario where the, my, my, my neighbor is actually physically coming to hurt me or my property? I know there are some folks who might say, okay, you have to be a pacifist. You love your neighbor by not by not by not fighting back. If they come to punch you and you're getting and you're just getting punched, then just be punched. If you're being hurt, just be hurt. I don't know if I don't know if I can abide that. I don't know if that's a biblical response. How about this one? Now, that's your that's yourself. Some of you might say, well, yeah, I would just take Take what, take what someone's giving me. I'll be a pacifist uh, because that's what love looks like. Okay, what if they're hurting someone else? What if the neighbor you're supposed to love is hurting another neighbor? Someone else in the neighborhood? Would, wouldn't it, would it not be hate to the victim for you not to step in and try to interfere? And I, th- I think that's how I found a way to reconcile this. How to do some kind of cultural conflict, not ever with the goal of destroying anybody, but actually having conflict culturally to get to places of neutrality, to get to places of shared space, never to destroy the other side, but needing to fight to do that. Because that is that is what is largely happening. We, we know who the aggressor is in the culture war. I talked about this within the last couple months on a show. The, the left is on any given spectrum in all countries, tends to be the aggressor. Those in 
those on the, the political right in any given country tend to be the folks who want to move forward, progress through ideas, technology, finance, move the country forward. But as we do it, be very careful that we, we hold the traditions and the ideals that we held that brought us so far. And it, it tends to be as conservatism wants to move slowly or being on the right wants to move slowly towards progress, it is, it's the left that comes along and will punch the left comes along and says, hey, we're going to teach your kids about transgenderism when they're, si- when they're six. And it's almost as if, in the most anodyne way, the conservative parent is just sitting in a room somewhere eating saltines, being as boring as they can be, and a blue-haired radical comes in and says, hey, I'm going to teach your six-year-old that they might not be the gender they were born. Okay, bye. That's a punch. It's a stab. It's aggression. They walk in walk in the door, and hey, we're going to start teaching your kids that the most, the single most important thing about them is their ethnicity, and nothing could ever be more important than their ethnicity. Okay, bye. I'm going to go do that now. They've come and they've punched. They've come and they've been aggressive. Now, I still, I mean this, I still love that person. They're wrong. Their, their thoughts are pagan. They're, they're going to damage people because of what they think and damage kids. So I, I don't want to have the attitude that I've heard from some that I want to destroy them. No, I just want to stop them from doing the damaging thing. And let's get back to neutrality and get back to shared space. And and so, when we're talking about loving our neighbors, the way I want to love my neighbor is look around. I have some set of neighbors that are victimizing and being aggressive towards another set of neighbors. And so, I want to help the neighbor who's being victimized, the aggression is being practiced against, by providing shared space and some kind of equal footing, some neutral spaces, so that one is not taking advantage of the other. And that's how I I want to love the aggressive neighbor, is not by trying to destroy them, but by trying to create a space where everyone can be. I, I struggle with one, one thing I've heard recently. Inside the American right, there's a debate about whether or not you should just let the left run wild and aggressive and... And, and to what level it's appropriate to fight back. And there are some folks on the right that just say, you know, they've got their tactics and their methods, and they're they're aggressive, they're effective, but you you just can't fight back because using any kind of government, you can't fight back with any kind of aggression because that's not who we are. We we fight back a different way. But I guess uh, let's just go with my with my adult lifetime. The it's, it's always been in one direction, and at some point, when your neighbor is punching you over and over again, you have to either punch back or at least hold them down and not let them punch you anymore. I remember the first one that was... Uh, the one that sticks with me. In 2000, I think, 10, I've, I think I mentioned it many times on the show before, the former CEO of Firefox, Mozilla Firefox, he was one of the first victims of cam- cancel culture. In 2008, when California was voting on a marriage amendment at a time when both parties held to traditional marriage, where Barack Obama was elected saying he was for traditional marriage and that there should be civil unions but no marriage between gay couples, at that time in human history, the CEO of Mozilla Firefox gave a donation to the effort to define marriage as one man and one, and one woman in California, and they wrecked his life. The left, the radical left, went out and wrecked his life. I remember the last 15 years when 
uh, Chick-fil-A tried to move into an airport. Chick-fil-A tried to go into a new city. And radical left-wing groups step up and say, no, you can't come here because your CEO believes this one thing about marriage and sexuality. You can't come. You can't be in our city. You can't be in our airport. I remember about 10 years ago, the state of Maryland got obsessed with the idea of trying to find a way to tax churches. And they floated and almost passed what they called a, uh, I think it's called a rain impact tax. So you got taxed on your property for how much concrete you had. And the idea was, if you have a lot of concrete, well, the rain is uh, the rain is not soaking into the soil and we're having to redirect it and use city services for irrigation pur- purposes. But it was a very va- thinly veiled attempt to say, here in the city, maybe it was Baltimore and not the state of Maryland. It could have been the city of Baltimore. Fairly thin, va- thinly veiled attempt saying, there's a lot of parking that belongs to churches and they don't use it Monday through Saturday. It only gets used Sunday and so, some of them are paid lots, some of them just stay empty, and so we're going to get our, our money from them. We're coming for the churches. I, in my lifetime, I remember, heck, I mean, Lois Lerner of the IRS very specifically went after conservative 501c3s, didn't give them their certifications, went slow on those, they target, targeted them for extra audits. The left used its power, its might, often the government, to go after folks who disagreed with, tried to destroy them. The ones that get to me most often. A sweet little old lady in Washington. An honest businessman in Colorado. A photographer in Nevada. Just private citizens trying to run their own little businesses. They do not hold, or they do not show fealty, to what, the, what leftists want, and they seek to destroy their lives, take their livelihoods from them. California a couple years ago passed a law, I think it's been recently overturned by the courts, to require that something like 10% of every corporate board couldn't be white, male, or straight, telling companies, which, by the way, it's good, it's good practice. It's good practice to have different perspectives in a boardroom, but straight up regulating it from a state level. We just know who the aggressors are. It tends to be a lot of us would love to just sit down, be boring, largely leave things the way they are, and it is a an ideology that always marches forward. It's always coming from more. It's always looking for more control. It comes in punches and punches and punches. And there is one section I'm hearing lately from the right that just says, you got to let them punch you. There's another side that says, no, we should get up and, and just level them. And here's all I'm saying. Maybe there is a third way here. Where instead of trying to level and destroy, using government power to destroy, you just try to restore shared space. I actually think... That's sort of what the state of Florida did with Disney. I know, I know there's a lot of folks on the right that seem to have talked about this like good retaliation, fighting back against Disney for lobbying against a very logical, rational bill. The fight, that they're fighting back against the indoctrination uh, strategies of Disney. And I, I certainly understand that. Yeah, that's in part what happened. But consider how they 
how they, quote, fought back. They took away something special. They took away a status that SeaWorld doesn't have. Took away a status that Bush Gardens doesn't have. There's all kinds of theme parks in Florida. It's a very popular place to go on vacation. And Disney had something special. And Florida said, well, if you're not going to be a neutral neighbor, if you're going to pick a side, well, then you don't get advantages from us. Now, you're obviously welcome to stay and operate your business, but we've treated you special as a state. And now you want to try to get involved in a partisan way? So no, we, we withdraw the special thing. You can't do that and expect us to continue to treat you like you're a great citizen of the state and, great, and very special. And all that does is actually bring it back to neutrality. I know this is the case. If a government, no matter who's in charge of it, has a company speak out that they're going to try to lobby or they're, they're trying to get a certain outcome in the culture wars, not an outcome related to their business, they're going to try to get a government-related outcome to how sexuality is taught to children and a new tax is applied to them, you're going to find opposition from me. That That is not, I, I don't think that's Christian worldview, it's certainly not conservative worldview, to try to use the government to cudgel companies to agree with you, to to cudgel companies into giving you what you want. But that's not, a, that's not at all what happened in Florida. What happened in Florida was, all right, well, you ha- you want to be special in lots of ways. You're not going to get to be, all right. You're you're going to get involved. You're going to have to just be at, treated like a normal company here. That's a shared space. Now it's neutral. So I think it's a good example. I I, I don't want to fight to destroy, but I do want to fight to share the country again. I do want to fight to provide neutrality again. I think a lot of these bills in the state level regarding educational policy, they're, they're similar. It's, it's trying to create in the school a shared space. Asking ourselves, what are the things we all do agree on? Like truly, across income spe- spectrum, ethnic spectrums, across all the different categories of humans, what do we largely agree on in the school district? All right, well, let's just teach those things when it comes to ethics or the examples that we're we are willing to use like one of the one of the things that's that's happened here in this this Florida education bill is uh, what I talked about recently uh, on the show was not using gay couples in word problem examples well of course that's a great idea there's a giant chunk of people in your state that find this to be a morally objectionable uh, more a morally objectionable arrangement and no one in your state thinks a man and a woman being together is morally objectionable. So, yeah, use the example that everyone agrees on so that we can all share the space together. So that we can all have a co- something common and stop pulling us apart. Now, here's what I fear, is that there is a there's an element of people associated with me that are ready to start using governments to demand that companies or schools do, do actively do certain things. Not just restrict, 
uh, not not just respect, especially in the, in the case of children, not just restrict certain types of content, but compel certain kinds of language or compel activity. That's where you go too far. I, I had a, a discussion with somebody once. And he, he was just kidding, but he said, I, I don't know why we don't require everybody to own a gun. It's just good sense to have have one in your house to, to, to defend yourself. And he didn't mean it, but that, that's a good, at least absurd example. The way you have shared space is, all right, hey, you guys, you're all free. You guys cannot have a firearm. You guys can have a firearm. But the, the step that's too far from the right is going out and saying, you must have one. The same way it's going too far on the left that says, you can't have one. I hope this has been a theme over the last several years on this show. I, I, I am deeply interested in a country where people who disagree can just disagree and not have to have their way and not have to have everyone follow their way. The, the problem I'm, I'm finding is you're getting reactionary responses. I've said many times before, the American left tends to be totalitarian. It wants everything. It wants power over all of the things. And I am unwilling to respond back, no. You, you can't be censorious, tell us what not to say. You can't be confiscatory and take all of our stuff. You can't be authoritarian and have all the power. No, you can't have it. I want it. Give it to me. Give it to my people. I just, I want to diffuse it. I, wonder, I don't think I've given this example before. Maybe I have. I think it's this. It goes like this. When you have two people in a room and there is a gun on the table, there's only tension if the two people don't trust each other and really, really think the other one might hurt the other. And so right now, that's what we have. There's a gun in the room. It's called the government. And thus far, it seems like the, the left in the room wants to grab it and shoot you with it. And the folks on the right are just trying to have, have in the past kind of just said, okay, I guess you, I mean, I don't want to fight back using your methods. I mean, I guess you can just shoot or whatever. And now there's a group on the right saying, no, grab the gun and you do it. And all I'm saying is, can someone take the gun out of the room? If we could do that, that'd be super cool. But we all stop trying to use, use government force to make people do what we want. There's only one distinction I want to give. We're going to bug out of here. I'll take an early break, and we'll come back and talk about other stuff. The, there is distinction that's important when it comes to children. I'm largely going to be a First Amendment absolutist when it comes to humans and um, just adults. Sorry, I, sh- I, didn't mean hum- me- I did not mean humans. I meant adults. But when it comes to kids, we do have to have... Governments that protect children, particularly in school, from certain types of content. And so while I've, there, there's some, you know, some folks on the left have been charging folks on the right for some kind of hypocrisy, saying, you know, you, know, you guys don't want to use the government for anything, and now you're trying to use the government regarding schools. Well, yeah, because it's children, it's kids, and it's a, it's a shared space with a bunch of kids in it, and that's the exception. You know, even to the extent, I, I don't like the ones in Florida, there are some bills now in Florida trying to eliminate some of the uh, diversity diversity and inclusion trainings that big companies do. Not just trying to eliminate them, but banning them. I, I can't get on board with that. 
if an adult company and there's adults that work there, the adults that own it and the adults that work there, they're going to have to work that out amongst themselves. That's no place, that is no place for government to regulate. But in a school, when it comes to children, we actually do have to be really careful and very mindful, and that's the place where government should be. The I just got a tangent now. The hypocrisy accusations the last couple of weeks have been so maddening. There's a basically an, uh, an accusation of hypocrisy from the left saying you 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 guys don't ever want to use government for anything. You guys sure are using the government now to do stuff. And you've heard me argue now what what I'm I'm for what I think a lot of these things do. It leads us back to neutrality. It leads us back to shared spaces. Finally, folks on the right decided, all right, I don't like that you're punching me. I've been sitting here getting punched for decades. I'm going to make you stop punching me. I don't want to punch you back, but you do have to stop punching me. And so we're going to pass laws and use government to require you to stop punching us. Yes, that's that's happening. And that's not hypocrisy. But go the other direction. And out of nowhere, you guys are looking for some government restraint. Man, want the government to stay out of your business. Out of nowhere, the good guy in a story is a giant multinational corporation that makes billions every year. Out of nowhere, those are the good guys. Or those used to be the really evil folks in all of your narratives. There's been, I'm sure, hypocrisy on both sides, but the there's much more clarity on the other. Okay, I actually thought that topic was going to take up the whole show, and I'm so glad it did. That means we can take a break right now, and when we come back, I have a couple other thoughts from this week I want to share. We'll do that when you return for the Corey Act Show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe we finish with two related stories. One a book, one a story that I read recently. One I think you all absolutely should go read. I'll tell you about that in just a moment. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show, where we are dedicated to smarter, deeper, and better talk. Find me, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. It's easy to do. And you can also email the show at Show at gmail.com. I think one of the most important public thinkers of the last 50 years, maybe 100 years, has been Jonathan Haidt. He comes with a caveat and that he's not a believer and so he's going to miss on some things but he's even he's a level-headed deep thinker who I think is largely nonpartisan. he he leans left of center I can tell because he just grew up cosmopolitan cosmopolitan went to all the the typical very impressive colleges but he had the coddling of the American mind book that I thought was really important about our our why we become also weak-minded in any event, he wrote recently a an article, I think it was in The Atlantic, that said, or was entitled, Why the ten, Last Ten Years Have Been So Uniquely Stupid. And I suspect there's a lot of you that resonate with that. Where you just think, it, this is different, right? It's uniquely dumb right now, the things we're seeing in the world. And I just want to read to you a, a, little, a little segment of it, and then I want to highlight a couple parts. He likens our culture to the culture after Tower of Babel in the Bible. I don't even know if he believes the story, but he envisions a world where suddenly people don't even speak the same language. Everyone was speaking the same language, then it falls apart, and they don't know how, they don't know how to hold it together, and so everyone starts moving away from each other. This comes, by the way, the theme of, I think the theme of today's show is, I have a great deal of interest and not destroying other people, but trying to find a way to live together. 
and I think there's some ideas here who can that can help us do that. So from Jonathan Haidt's article, let me read to you two paragraphs. Uh, from the article, historically, civilizations have relied on shared blood, gods, and enemies to counteract the tendency to split apart as they grow. This is true historically. Just being of the same tribe, blood, having the same religion, or often very, very powerful, just having the same enemy. You may, you may not even like the people you're with, but if you have the same enemy, you'll partner together. Back to the article. But what is it that holds together large and diverse secular democracies, such as the United States, India, and for that matter, Britain and France? By the way, we're not a democracy. We are a republic, but I'll digress to that later on. Then here is the final paragraph I want to read to you. Social scientists have identified at least three major forces that collectively bind together successful countries. So that's, it used to be blood, gods, enemies, and here are the things that hold together the modern world. One, social capital. That means high levels of trust in each other, strong institutions, trusting the institutions of the country, the government, the media, education system, finance system, all that. And three, shared stories. Now, here's the key, uh, here's the key phrase. He lists, he lists, these are the three things we find that, buy, that find that bind people together. Social capital, strong institutions, and shared stories. Social media has weakened all three. To see how, we must understand how social media changed over time, especially in the years following 2009, which leads, by the way, into these uniquely stupid last 10 years. Now, I'm not going to read any more of it. I do want to highlight a couple things. I encourage you to go find it. Um, Atlantic had a cool feature on there where you can just listen to it. To listen to it takes about 50 minutes. It's a long article, but I think it's worth it. He, again, he gets some things wrong in it, so let me give that caveat. If you go read it, don't assume I agree with all of it, but there's some good commentary. So three things that can hold us together and how social media hurts them. One, social capital. That is how much we trust each other. I was preparing for a sermon here recently, and I saw some survey data from Remax. Remax is that giant real estate company. And they did a survey with, I think, 10,000 respondents. They were asking people, what makes a good neighbor? And the top three answers were this. Number one was trust. I just feel like I can trust them. I don't think they're shady. Number two was they take care of their own property. They, t they take care of their own stuff. By the way, if, if I could just say that out loud, you can be a very—you're a very good neighbor if you will take care of your own stuff, and that's all of your life, not not just your neighbors in your neighborhood. The more you take care of yourself, you're being good to others. So take care of yourself. And then finally, they said, uh, "Friendly but not a friend." So don't want you to—they don't want you to strike up a conversation, but they'd like for you to smile when you're walking your dog. So friendly but not a friend. But that first one is trust. To have a strong society, we actually have to trust each other. Think about what social media did to that. In the early days of social media, it was primarily a, a sharing function. Here's what's going on in my life. Here are some pictures from our vacation. We just had a baby. We are getting married. Here's, here, are the, here are those pictures. Or it did fairly quickly go to, here's some things on my mind about what's going on in the world and this is, social media is a platform just to share uh, so everyone can be together. But social media began to change. After 2009, as Jonathan Haidt 
mentions. You get the share button. We didn't have a share button on social media. And those of you who aren't on social media, here's how it used to work. You really just shared stuff. There was no reaction to it. People could comment, but no one could indicate in a shorthand way that they liked, disliked, um, or in any way even saw it. You don't even know if people saw what you posted. You just posted things, and then someone might comment. Some of you even younger than me, you mid-20s people, you might not remember there was a Facebook with no like button. That existed. I was part of that first Facebook generation. I was uh, I went to college in 04. I think that's the year Facebook started, maybe 05. I've been on Facebook, I think, since 05. It used to be a very scaled-down operation. And we just shared stuff. And then you get the share button. And what you find is social media begins to be, for a lot of people, performance. Becomes a way to have your name and renown grow. You can go internet famous for a month or so. If you can go viral on YouTube or put out a video that does really well on Facebook. Or if you perform well enough, now you'll get a lot of these things called likes. People will click the like button. On Instagram, they'll double tap it, and you can get a little heart that someone liked your picture. And we get little dopamine hits in our brain from our devices telling us, people like you, people like you, people like you. And so the thing that was maybe able to, at some level, build trust, because we could all just go on there and talk about what's going on and share our, share our lives, began to give us a facade. And we all knew it. We all knew that sometimes we would do things, go places, just to get the pictures for the internet so that we could get more likes. And so then we started to understand everyone else was lying to us, and the entire institution of social media became largely a facade, largely a lie, performative to get attention. So a healthy country needs to trust each other, and social media made it harder to trust each other than two. So a healthy society needs trust in its institutions. Go straight there to social media. Uh, big tech is an institution, right? It's, it's arguable the most important institution in our society is big tech. It's what Silicon Valley, Amazon, Twitter, Facebook, uh, well, I guess it's Meta now, Google, Microsoft. What they decide to do deeply affects our lives. And because... They, have, they began to manipulate the platform for their own profit in some ways. I'll explain that in a minute. It even hard, it's hard to trust them. You may, you may not know this, but the original social media sites were organized fully by, uh, the word I'm looking for is chronological. So you'd sign on to Instagram, you sign on to Facebook, you start scrolling down, 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 and they're showing you just what happened most recently. And you actually get this, if you were in the early days of Facebook, when you only had a couple hundred people maybe, you could run out of Facebook. You'd get to the bottom and it would say, okay, that's all the content. That's all you got. They don't have any of that now. Facebook and Twitter will go find people you don't follow and they will, excuse me, and Instagram, and just put it in your feed so that you can literally scroll to the end of time. And so you, you find that out, that you're, you're getting posts hidden from you there are people paying to put things in front of you, and you can't even trust the device in your pocket. 
it also became so much easier to find out every little thing going on. So you, you, we, we may not have a giant widespread issue in the school system, but if you heard a hundred stories about uh, uh, something happening in schools, you start to think, oh, it's happening in my school. It's happening everywhere. Because there are thousands, well, ten, probably hundreds of thousands or at least tens of thousands of schools across the country, but now you know what's happening in all of them. Now I have to, I'm sorry, guys, I have to run a rabbit trail. It hit me recently. There was, there's this football coach from Washington who's at the Supreme Court arguing that it's not illegal for him to pray on the field. Recently, there was a story out of Ohio where a uh, homosexual substitute teacher came to class and gave out pride bracelets to high schoolers, and nothing bad's happened to that guy. He got fired, but he's not going to have to go to the Supreme Court to, yeah, uh, the thing, we're so backward. But, and and he was rightly fired for that. But the point there is, let's say I, I hear that story. It happened in an isolated case in Ohio, but the way the social, the social media works, if I have a reaction to that, if I stay on the story, if I read it, if I react to it literally with a reaction like an angry reaction button, then they're going to keep showing me those things, and so I begin to not trust the institution that is education. I'm going to find out that it's not just my federal government and my state government that has various types of... Uh, corruption, but I'm going to be able to see all the corruption in every county council, every school board, everywhere, and I'm going to land on the idea that all of our institutions are rotten to their core. So I can't trust my government, can't trust the schools. I, I'm now seeing everything the banks do, and I can't trust them. A, a healthy society has to have some trust, and social media started to tell us you can't trust each other. You're all lying to each other. Two, we're going to bring you every story from every nook and cranny of your country and only bring you the ones that get a lot of attention, which are often the negative ones. We're going to show you those so that you'll stay on the site and you start to trust. You don't trust your fellow man. You don't trust the institutions, your government. I mean, some of that's healthy. There should be some healthy, healthy skepticism. And then finally, for a healthy society, you need trust with each other, trust in your net, your uh, institutions, and finally, shared stories. I've covered this one ad nauseum on this show. We used to have a shared story. Adventurous, enterprising, hardworking people come from all over the world to come here and succeed. We are that place that if you'll come, you'll put in the work, you'll be honest, you'll have strong work ethic, that this is a place where you can live that American dream. I've been saying to young people at North Greenville here lately very often, yeah, college is in part, sure, is we want you to go live the American dream. And yeah, sure, we do, yeah. Uh, Get married, have some kids, buy a house, finish life with more prosperity than your parents did. I think that's what is defined as the American dream. We want that for you. But man, we want more than that. What a boring life. Just get married, have a kid, own a house, die with more stuff. No, we want you to do something bigger. When you go to work, we want it to be on mission. When you live in that house and parent your kids and love your spouse, we want you to do it for the, for the glory of God and the kingdom of God. And that's the ethic we're going to have here. I have, I have that shared story of America. Now I'm back off that tangent. The shared story of the American dream is gone. 
I mean, there are folks I respect inside the faith, even, that just say the, the foundations are rotten. We told a story about a place that had opportunity, and you can come get some opportunity, but it's never been true. It's never been true universally, and therefore it's not true at all. And we just need a new foundation altogether. It's just rotten. We have it. We don't have a shame, a shared story about the founders. And because again, the social media comes along and puts you in a silo that will tell you every story from the perspective you want to hear it. We don't have shared stories. I mean, I I, I encourage this. Let's go with experiment. If you know someone who is fairly right of center and someone's left of center, get and you, they're ever in the same room where you can do this apart from them. Pick a new story. Pick whatever whatever's happening in that, that week. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, it's been what's going on with Disney or Elon Musk buying Twitter, and just ask them for a two-minute rundown facts of the case. What's happening in Florida with that bill and Disney? What's happening in Twitter? with Elon Musk. Just ask them. And what you'll find is they don't have the same story. Because their social media feeds give them different stories. And as we got to close up here, Jonathan Haidt is identifying something very important. For us to be healthy and to have shared spaces, to have anything like a society, we're going to have to find a way to trust each other, trust our institutions, and to share some stories. Social media is the primary culprit in us not being able to do that. Cable news does it too. There's, there are plenty of those motivated poorly and are destroying our, our, uh, our cohesive tools. So maybe final action item for today is us. Let's not be a part of that problem. Let us be careful about how much we're letting these companies control our minds, control our thoughts. And let's be people of trust. Offering trust to others and being people worthy to be trusted. I'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show next week on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. Until then, everybody, peace and love.